Most breaches are caused by exploiting oversights in basic cybersecurity fundamentals, but complex hybrid multi-cloud infrastructures make cybersecurity hygiene challenging. Red Seal can help. It shows you what's on your network, how it's connected, and the associated risk across public cloud, private cloud, and physical environments. With Red Seal, you'll get control of your cybersecurity fundamentals so you can protect your organization from the inevitable attack vectors and reduce your cyber risk. For more information, visit securityweekly.com forward slash Red Seal. Welcome back to Business Security Weekly. I am your host, Matt Alderman, joined by Paul Asadorian and Jason Albuquerque. Layer 8 is going virtual. The conference will still be held on Saturday, June 6th. Security Weekly listeners save $20 on their ticket by visiting layer8conference.com and using the promo code SECURITYWEEKLY before selecting your ticket type. Please consider supporting Layer 8 or one of their partner organizations when purchasing your tickets. Some of the Security Weekly team will be in our own channel on the Layer 8 Discord server answering questions and possibly doing some contests. Also, learn how hidden vulnerabilities lead to application compromise in our next webcast with Sneak. Register for our upcoming webcast or virtual trainings by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash webcast or visit securityweekly.com forward slash on demand to view our previously recorded webcasts and virtual trainings. Oh, gentlemen, gentlemen, stories are getting better, better, better slowly each week. Mm-hmm. Um, not too much on COVID and remote work, but yeah, you we're, know, there's still a sprinkle in here. <laughs> You're going to set up auto uh, responders for me now. Yes. <laughs> All right. So let's start with the first one. Jason, burnout CISOs are a huge cyber risk. Are you burnout yet, buddy? I'm not burned out. No, no, never, 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 never. But uh, but no, I mean, this, this this article is a good one. And, and to be honest with you, it's not just CISOs, right? It's it's staff in general. Um, I, I think we really, especially in the time of disruption, um, you know, one of the things I made sure that the team and I did was we took a look at the workload and and started to um, really cut down on anything that we wouldn't consider a priority to kind of get the the noise away for a little while, right? We we had to take some of those those projects initiatives that uh, that weren't the immediate need and, and start trimming it down because you know the last thing I wanted the staff to have was this overwhelming amount of workload and then have them get burnt out. Yeah, so it was, I mean, it was it's, prioritizing. It's, we went through a really a priority exercise, right? How, how do we prioritize the work and, and really bubble the most important um, projects to the top, um, you know, and, and really focus on those? And, and a lot of that was reacting to the disruption. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing that kind of creates a little bit of stress and, and maybe a little bit of burnout right now, um, the collaboration be- across the team um, and some of the work hour changes. How have you kind of address some of those jason uh, at carousel yeah i mean i mean from from our side of the aisle you know being a a professional services organization and a managed services organization we we were used to working strange hours so we kind of had that down packed where um you know we'd we'd shift we'd shift work times right so if i had a, a team of folks who were working you know working later on in the night or working over the weekend you know we'd make sure that we're we're shifting things around so that we we can give, you know, give folks a, a good enough break. Uh, you know, for, for me, it's looking at the level of utilization of the team and making sure we're not exceeding 
uh, a level that that I as a leader would start looking at as uncomfortable, right? Because I, I want to make sure folks have that time to de decompress. Uh, I'm a huge proponent of making sure that people are, are operating at, at optimal, um, you know, speeds and feeds. So that way we're not making mistakes because we're tired or we're burnt out or we're overworked. So, so for me, it's, it's making sure people are working at an optimal level and adjusting schedules as needed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can imagine these days, right? I, I fall into the same trap sometimes, you know, when I'm <laughs> sitting there in front of those monitors going, yeah, oh, got to get it done. I'm just going to keep on going. And, and, and you yeah. want to know what, Matt, at, at that point, you know, it, it, it's my job and it's my manager's job to identify that and say something, you know what I mean? So, so I, I really make it a point to say, Hey, listen, you, you know, I, I've noticed you've been working a lot this week, take tomorrow off or take a half a day. You know what I mean? So, mm, so I push right. that out there. I proactively have those conversations as we're identifying it. Problem is the only boss here that can do that is my wife, which means she has to walk into the office and smack <laughs> me upside the back of the head. Yeah. The, the problem is now though, um, is what, what do you do in your day off? Right. I think a lot of folks are, are taking days off, uh, to watch their kids. Right. And yeah. Mm -hmm. It's kind of hard to go on vacation right now, as well. No, so totally. I, that, but, but that's I think the elephant in the room. Uh, you know, having a day off. Uh, you, I think you're just going to be more creative about what you do in your day off. If you're going to be at home sure. and you're working from home and you're taking the day off, don't yeah. go into the office, right? One hundred percent. My my whole point in doing that is to say, listen, disconnect from work for a little bit. Mm. Just disconnect from work. Right. Go. There's still things to do. Yeah. Even if you're sitting down reading a book, go do it. Right. Especially during yeah. the week. Uh, we've noticed that's the time to go for a bike ride. Right. Because mm -hmm. uh, everything else is closed. So right. everyone's going to the same activities, uh, which is dangerous for a lot of reasons, especially on the bike path with one of my kids just learning how to ride a bike. <laughs> you know, there's that <laughs> and COVID-19 and the whole, you know, the whole thing. So yeah. uh, I just think being more creative about how you spend your day off. Right. Uh, you know, day off could be getting a project done around the house that has nothing to do with computers. You know, we try and do that on the weekends to to disconnect, right? And yeah, and take yeah. on, you know, not always cleaning out your closet. I mean, sometimes you got to do what you got to do, but you know, getting the pool ready or or whatever, building something. Uh, you know, get your you know work your hobby. It's a good time to work your hobby. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, and and, and yeah. know that kids are get, kids are getting a lot of screen time these days too, right? So pulling mm. pulling them out of the screen is is a good thing as well. Yes, absolutely. It's a oh yeah, I got to do that on Thursday with my son. I just mm -hmm. got to get him out of his bedroom and get him out of the house because yeah. he's just yeah. Otherwise, he won't go. Uh, the second article I love um, because this is what I did about five years ago to build strategy. Folk, you know, start with the future. Uh, and this is a podcast, is an audio podcast, and I thought this was a great podcast because sometimes we fall into this trap, and we're all, some of us are doing it right now, by the way. We're thinking, okay, I'm in this new crisis. I'm thinking, what's going to happen the next one to two years? Uh, this podcast actually says, no, 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 spend time, spend 10, 20% of your time. Think about five to 10 years out and then backtrack. And Paul will know this story because when I was at Tenable driving the five-year strategy roadmap at Tenable, I took, I took a very kind of aggressive five-year forecast on the trends that were happening in IT and tried to apply a security use case to them. And I made some pretty bold predictions, some that didn't come true, but some that are coming true now. Um, which I think is interesting, Paul. You know, we we kind of mm. saw this trend start, but I think a lot of the things we were talking about back in 
late 15, early 16, we're now really starting to see accelerate now. Mm-hmm. And you sometimes you have to think that far out and make some really bold predictions about what is that future? And then kind of step back and says, what does that mean? What shifts do I have to start to think about for my business? Uh, and so just a really, really great podcast series on, on that whole process. Yeah, I think it's, you know, one of the things I keep looking at, we were touched on in the previous segment is, you know, IT folks working from home, uh, even non-IT folks working from home, I think there's a real opportunity to give people better and more secure communications while working from home remotely. And I, I think it's interesting, you know, a lot of us security folks, obviously we're confined, you know, not so much confined, but right, we're working from home, we have been. But we're also not traveling to conferences and to do remote pen test engagements. So a lot of the hosts here and, and all their friends in security are like, yeah, I'm, I'm upgrading my home network too. And we're like, hey, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? And, it, and we're starting to apply what we've learned and know about enterprise and business security to our homes. And, and Tyler and I came to this revelation last Thursday. We compared notes quick and we're like, this is rivaling some designs that in thought that I've put into, you know, consulting with enterprises. Um, so I think there's a, an opportunity there to, you know, as folks work from home, what's the network look like? What's the device look like? What's the communications look like? You know, all that stuff. Uh, I think there's some, some opportunity there to, uh, for technology to evolve. No. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's those, Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jason. No, 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 I was just going to say, it reminded me a lot of, of, I'm not sure if you guys have ever read it, but Stephen Covey, um, he had this he had this philosophy of start with the end in mind. Right. And, and it was really, you know, lift your head out of the whirlwind, mm. um, spend some time really envisioning what you want that nirvana state to look like. And then, you know, start start working your way backwards to, to achieve that all while being flexible enough to deal with rapid changes. Right. Um, but always having that true compass north. So that way you're always guiding toward that vision, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. And, and what's interesting, Jason, is when I did this exercise in late 2015, I basically said, look, the future of the office is literally a Wi-Fi access point. Mm-hmm. And that's it, because everything else will be accessible somewhere in the cloud. Think about what we're going through right now. That's not too far yeah. off of what I- offices are going to look like soon. And I think schools too. One hundred percent agreed. Mm-hmm. And schools potentially, yeah. Yeah. Where now? Yeah, I mean, people I, may I be know, on. I mean, you guys were mentioning uh, K through twelve, right? I, I already know some school districts who are creating. Uh, they, they were tasked by the Department of Education to create a plan to to make sure that you know they can have some level of remote K through twelve learning, remote learning come September. Because they know a good portion of that student body is not going to be able to go back into the buildings. Yeah. Now, no overlay security on top of that with what we know about um, uh, Ocean and our K through 12 schools yep. and what they provide. When they're not at school, a lot of those controls are not in place. In yeah. fact, some places none of those controls might be in place. Right. Just what's maybe on their Chromebooks. Right. If they even have a Chromebook uh, that was issued to them. Uh, so, uh, you know, Ocean gave us insights as to, and it's public on their website, right? They've made announcements and they're doing an awesome job uh, securing our infrastructure, nonprofit infrastructure here in Rhode Island. Other states have very similar programs. Now they're working from home, right? And doing school from home. 
which is not necessarily homeschooling either, it, doing it from home. And how are the parents, a lot of this now, does it fall on the parents? Does it fall on the ISPs? What, is, what does that look like? Tyler and I struggle uh, with controlling certain things. Even still to this day, knowing as, you know, as much experience as we have with networking and security, we're like, I'm like, yeah, I haven't really had a good solution to that problem either, right? And so I, I think there's a lot of good opportunity. I think there's some plus. I don't think everyone should be isolated all the time. Kids especially need that human interaction with their peers yeah. for sure, right? But wouldn't it, it, how awesome would it be like there's no such thing as a snow day anymore? <laughs> That's the thing I'm looking forward to, right? No right, such thing right. as a snow day. <laughs> No, no, 100%. Yeah. But I mean, you know, when, when you're looking at their strategies, they need to have something in place just right. in case September happens. And they're like, listen, you can only have 50% of your population in a building at a time. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. So so they need to they need to start making those those strategic, um, you know, determinations on how they're going to manage that. And you're absolutely right. Now they're not on the school network anymore. So mm -hmm. so how do you manage that level of security down to the endpoints that these these students are on? Right. How are you getting it to that endpoint level? And then how do you yeah. manage identity? Right. Is, exactly. is a huge thing, too, because now every student has an identity that's associated with a digital identity. Yep, exactly right. And, and I mean, that's your scenario, right? Endpoint, end state, not a percentage of students, assume zero students. Yeah. Right? And what are all the things you have to put in place to support 100 percent virtual schooling for the future? Yeah, that's a good we point. Matt. What, what happens if there's a revival of this in the fall, mm -hmm. right? Right. It's not a percentage. Assume zero and yep. then look at the steps you need to, to implement go right. to right. go back to create a strategy to actually execute against that. Great that tie, could great be tie our back to that story, Matt. That was awesome. Right. right. <laughs> Love it. Uh, these next two are on more communication. Uh, I, I, the problem with PowerPoint, I think we all know this. Uh, it was interesting. They talk about Bezos. I always go back to this, the Steve Jobs, Apple example of the rules he had for PowerPoint. Uh, if you were going to use PowerPoint, this article really gives you some of the basics to say, how do you present without PowerPoint and in slides? Right. And, and a lot of it comes down to know your story, mm -hmm. know which visuals you're going to use to enhance that story and then make sure you command the room. These are these are tips that any keynote speaker has gone through. Yep. Uh, and, and in this particular case, is like do it without PowerPoint. Yeah. And I think that's a great next step. You know, I think many of us certainly on the show and listening to the show um, over the years, just because of our roles in various positions, especially in security, we have to communicate with a lot of different groups. We have to do education, awareness and training um, have gotten pretty good at, at presenting. Right. I think that next level uh, in fact, I think when I, I saw Bruce Schneier briefly at, at RSA and commended him on some of the keynotes I had watched him do in that in uh, the year uh, past year or so, no slides. And I, but I think that's the that's the progression, right? To know your story so well and your points that you don't need those visual aids and capture the audience's attention, I think is something we <clears throat> should start striving for um, because death by PowerPoint is yeah. it, it gets harder in a technical presentation. Uh, right. certainly. Um, but you know, bullets are evil. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was a great gut check, right? I mean, <coughs> having the article state that, listen, they're there to, they're there to see you speak because you're the most important thing to them at that, at that moment, right? They, they want to know your story. They want, they want to be interacting with you and they want to know your story. So for me, it was a great gut check in, Hey, 
Next time, you know, I build out, uh, you know, a, a presentation or, or I'm speaking is, is, you know, don't forget that they're, they're there because they want to hear your stories. And I, I also commend, you know, there's many in uh, security today that uh, either have done or are practicing stand up comedy. Think about it. The best stand-up comics do not have any visuals, right? I mean, of right. course, there are some that do props, and that's and that's their niche, and that's their thing, and that's cool. Um, stand-up comics don't typically have any visuals, right? It's just them. And so I think that's also a very good skill uh, to hone in on to relate to your yeah. stories, Matt. Yeah, uh, that and yeah. improv and mm-hmm. Toastmasters. Yep. I think those are all just great exercises folks can go through to, to learn how to tell stories, give presentations without slideware. Yeah, in Schneier's Secure World Boston last year, Paul, to your point, talk, we were right? sitting there. Yeah. Right, we're sitting at lunch and not a single slide, and we listened to, to the every whole single word he said. Yep. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, the second one talks about challenging your boss. There's actually, it, this is another podcast uh, series from HBR. They do some really good Dear HBR uh, mm-hmm. different podcasts. This had a call in of three different challenges. I, I recommend you listen to them. The, the gist I got out of this, right, is when you're going to challenge your boss, you have to think about how do I do it? Am I going to be indirect with how I want to uh, challenge and, and get direction or do I want to be very direct? Um, and as most people know me, I'm pretty direct and sometimes yeah, there's consequences. Direct. Yeah, yeah, true. And I but there's consequences. on the receiving side. Yep. Yes. But you got to be prepared for the negative that comes across potentially Correct. with a very defensive boss. And so the three stories are around uh, micromanager. Uh, what was the other one? Oh, working too much. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we talked about that already. And then the last mm-hmm. one was, you know, when I have a new boss and trying to educate or, or help that boss be a better manager in an environment that they mm-hmm. don't know because they came from the outside. Yeah, that's just a some really one. good tips. That last one requires mm-hmm. some uh, certainly political correctness, right? But if we go to you're already you know fairly comfortable with your your manager, um, I think direct feedback in, in both directions works the best. Um, of course, every employee to manager relationship is different. We talked about that on previous shows, right? Uh, you might take a different style of communications and management uh, across your various team members, right? Um, but I think direct communication is uh, is certainly it, you just you got to have some conversations basically beforehand. Be like, look, if you don't agree with something, don't be afraid to bring it up, right? If there's issues or challenges, let's let's bring them to the surface, right? Let's not look at it as confrontation let's look at it as discussion and you want as a manager you want to hear about concerns right but also you know on the other side of that if you're the employee you don't want it to come across as complaining either right and sometimes there's a fine line between that and i just think more and better communications with your manager uh even just prefacing with like look i'm not complaining i'm just saying like if we do this this is a potential bad outcome and what can we do to avoid that and what's the probability? And you basically are making risk decisions uh, and threat modeling as you go forth with any project, whether it's security related or not. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, you know, re- reading this article, guys, uh, I looked at the section that was called managing your boss mm. as the most important because that section talked about, listen, you're not going to change the core personalities of anybody. Right. So make sure you know your audience, make sure you know what makes your boss tick and what makes them, what may set them off, know the personalities, know the relationship, and then deliver the message appropriately. Right. And I think you can take that piece of this article and line it up to any of the other three issues Mm -hmm. 
And as long as you know your audience and how to deliver that message, so that way it comes across the right way for the personality you're delivering it to, you're going to be successful. And don't just bring problems, bring solutions yeah, to the absolutely. table to try to solve those problems. Agreed, right? Matt. Yes. Very important point. Last two articles are tied together uh, around cybersecurity uh, products. 78% of organizations use more than 50 cybersecurity products to address security issues. And we're going to tie that into this whole transformation of, of enterprise security. Because the, they're two different sources, but they, they come to some very similar conclusions. And what I thought was interesting in here is just some of the stats. Uh, 75%, so, so start with, uh, survey of 750 cybersecurity and IT professionals, to Paul's point, how wide was the survey? 750. Uh, it was produced by Oracle and KPMG um, in this particular uh, report. And it said 75% view public cloud as more secure than their own data centers. Uh, that's a shift because that didn't yeah. used to be the case. No, no, not at all. Uh, I, I think, you know, I think as, you know, cloud vendors mature and they get more secure, um, you know, we're realizing that we can't replicate that, right? Well, and I, I think you got to, you got to devil's in the details. What is it? SAS, we're oh, on the sure. cloud, you know, are right. you falling? Right. Uh, and then the other aspect of that is where I think the question should have been is visibility, right? You may have great yeah. visibility into your internal locally hosted stuff and not so great visibility into your cloud hosted stuff. Therefore you think your cloud is more secure, but it could be a lack of visibility. Well, that, that was going to be my next point. Don't don't take it as gospel, right? Yeah. Know, know what they're strong at and know what they're weak at, and then you have to make compensating controls, right? Mm -hmm. And make sure that holistically you're secure. Yeah. And, and we've seen some interesting programs out there in the federal space like FedRAMP, right? You have to be certified against FedRAMP, which provides a level of controls and security in place. To your point, that visibility, Paul. Right. And so if you're in the federal space and you're using a FedRAMP certified vendor, you know there's going to be certain baseline security capabilities embedded there. I think sure. the challenge is when you don't have those certification programs, you have to look at like SOC 2 type one or type twos, which are preferred. Now you have to understand, okay, what are some of those providers doing? Where do I have to augment my security capabilities based on what they are or are not providing? That's a little yeah, more challenging. What are the deficiencies within that SOC 2 type two and how do I have those compensating controls? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, 78 you, know, you know, I will say, Matt, one of, one of the things that blew my mind in this in the survey was 37% use more than 100 cybersecurity products. Wow. I was going there wow. next. 70% use 50 or more, 37% over 100 cybersecurity products. And we were talking about this in the last segment uh, with Mike Adler, right? This is challenging. I mean, how do you integrate 50 different cybersecurity products together to give you coordinated uh, incident, give you coordinated response, all these things that you have to do? With 50 products, it's hard, let alone 100, 100. plus. And like, look, I, I know context with 100 plus yeah. products. I, I mean, I know they're a sponsor, right? And Qualys is doing a great job um, with their product line, uh, as we've all been pointing out. Um, but George from Toyota Financial, I think, give us some insight as to why some of these numbers are much higher in number of security products because he said, you know, we have global offices, and that office may have an IT staff of two to three people. 
and they're literally off in another country and may adopt some of their own technology. And now you multiply that times, you know, 20 or 30 different offices across the world or more. And that's, I think, how you end up with that much larger number, Jason, in that 37% of we have more than 100 security products. What I thought Qualys did well was enable businesses like those to use a central platform for many of the tasks that need to be done on a daily basis. Definitely. And I love the three common types of misconfigurations because I mm-hmm. talk about this a lot. Look, it, misconfiguration in the cloud is one of the biggest gaps here. And, and you're looking at overprivileged accounts, yep. right? Which means you're giving certain accounts more access than they need. Uh, exposed web servers and other types of uh, server workloads. We, we've seen this ourselves, Paul. Uh, yep. And lack of multi-factor authentication. Well, and that's really all down to uh, authentication and permissions, right? I mean, it's yeah. authentication, the, what the user's allowed to do, what the service is allowed to do, right? Regardless of what security controls a cloud provider puts in place, whether your infrastructure as a service, platform mm-hmm. as a service, even full uh, SaaS, right? Software as a service, mm-hmm. you still have to provision the users. Yep. You still have to set up access rights, even it, across any mm-hmm. of those platforms. And that's why I said app user and data transcend regardless of where you run or how you run those three security controls are going to stay very key yep uh and then the last article just pulls in look we're going to see a lot more cloud adoption kind of ties into this previous article but i don't think any surprises there i Mm. mean just with the environment we're in moving stuff on premise making it easier to access remotely as we continue to ramp up remote workforces i think is this a trend we're going to continue to see Mm -hmm. oh 100 you know if anything this this created the the proof of concept for many organizations to say you want to know what it is safe to move to the cloud or it does work for operational, our operations to continue by moving to the cloud, right? Or, or they're seeing the the hurdles that it took with on-prem, and maybe that's making them think, hmm, maybe I need to shift to cloud. Which means my five-year strategy from five years ago, showing a single wireless access point in a building and everything being accessed to the cloud is pretty close now. Yep. What the heck are we going to do with all these buildings, Matt? <clears throat> They're going to be like know. WeWork spaces. <laughs> right. Shared workspaces, I guess. It's mm-hmm. the only way we're going to go. <laughs> oh, gentlemen, thank you for joining me today. Everyone, thank you for watching live and listening. Next week's Memorial Day, so we'll see you two weeks on Business Security Weekly. <laughs>